And then how does this happen? And uh, God, he, he works in his creation and in our lives and through the Holy Spirit and his word. Um, he, he equips us. Passage there in Ephesians, we may look briefly at that. Second Timothy 3, uh, chapter 3, he equips us through his word. Uh, and then we started last week with the scriptural spiritual application of these statements. Last week we looked at the passage out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And uh, just in bold print put the emphasis of that where Paul says he urges us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. This is our spiritual service uh, of worship. And do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. You may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so uh, chapter five, many years ago, uh, I was very fortunate to have some mentors in my life who uh, really, I think with great spiritual clarity, uh, took me to a point in scripture, uh, in the ministry of the word. And at this point, this passage always uh, takes me back to that point, I think keeps me grounded in that point, but it, it, it is out of this fifth chapter of Ephesians where we see this, uh, another step in the scriptural, spiritual application of the statements, these previous statements, and then, uh, so how do I apply the will of God? My conflict, know what it is, how do I apply it? And so out of this Ephesians passage in chapter five, there were three things, and before we could actually graduate from the College of Biblical Studies, one of the things they would have an entire, really a year, what they would call readiness for ministry. If you're going to serve and do the ministry of the word and uh, whatever that would be in the mission field, preaching, uh, teaching, whatever that would be, uh, this section of scripture, uh, there are three points. But the application, it wouldn't matter if you were just preparing for ministry, but just living in the world as a Christian, these three points are paramount in us understanding how to live according to the will of God in spite of my desires and my wants and my needs and uh, just the very struggle that I have in my flesh and then also uh, the reality of spiritual warfare. So in chapter 5, verse 1, the very first statement is, uh, verse 1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Now I'm going to stop right there very quickly. And I asked the youth group this morning, so... Um, if I were to say to you, uh, what or who are you imitating? What would your answer be? And they had, by the way, some outstanding answers this morning. But we're all copies of, of influences in people. We, we just are. It, it's evident in every dynamic of our life. We, we are imitating something. And usually it's the influence of our parents and people that, you know, that's had those influences in our life. So my very first question as we get into this, the dynamics, the truth of these scriptures is, if, if I were to ask somebody, maybe your husband, your wife, your parents, your closest friend, who, who is so-and-so imitating? What are the influences or what are some of the influences in their life? When you look at that person, you see the imitation of something. So we do it all the time. If, if you look at a guy and he's wearing jeans and boots and a cowboy hat, you would ask him, say, well, what, what, kind of, what kind of music do you like? I'm pretty sure you probably know the answer. What kind of vehicle do you drive? You know, those things. The clothes that you wear. Each of us, I had those influences in my life that... Uh, the men in my family, were they wore denim and, and they were just that whole 
ranch, farming, just that whole dynamic. The single biggest influence in my life was my grandfather. And, uh, you know, he, he loved the farming and the ranching and the Western lifestyle. And he drove a truck and he wore boots and he, all those things. So that was an influence in my life. And we began to imitate that culturally, regionally, would just matter where you live. But so my first question to you then is, then the statement is, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And so we're going to pause for just a second and say, okay, look at yourself and say, as the world looks at me, the world, the people in my life, who would they say I'm imitating? Who, who would they say that I'm an imitation of? And it may be several influences and several people, but Paul makes this definitive statement. If you're a Christian, and you believe what God has done for you through his son Christ, in spite of who you, chapter 1 in Ephesians, it's the use, and I've mentioned this before, the personal pronouns, he, him, his self, all of the things that God did for us through Christ, chapter 1. Chapter 2, it begins, even though we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. That's who we were. Chapter 3, Paul, as he talks about and writes about those great statements of the saving work of God through his son, he, the third chapter is he said, so that I, therefore, I have a responsibility. His was a ministry to the Gentiles. And so uh, he's writing this great letter, and then he gets to this point in the letter, and he tells the people to be imitators of God as beloved children. And if you don't know what that looks like, here it is. And walk, live in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Everybody here, again, is an imitation of something. The responsibility that we have as children of God, beloved children of God, is that when the world looks at us, they see an imitation. They see a copy. And it's obvious. Those are people who are living in love. Not, not the way the world defines love. If you don't know what that is, you just got to go to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not arrogant. It does not boast. It's not envious. It holds no record of wrongs. And you could just read the whole passage, God is love, but the greatest example of that love was on that cross with the crown of thorns. And the statement was, forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. And, and I, don't think, I don't think we can fake that. I really don't. I think you might be able to imitate it for a little while. But I don't believe as a beloved child that great influence of God the Father in our life to the Son Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't fake that. You could just for a little while. But it becomes obvious in our lifestyle, the way we walk. Is it in love? And the kind of love is a sacrificial love. It's a giving himself up, a giving yourself up, a giving myself up as an offering. 
a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You, you can see it. You can smell it. In the old camps out there in uh, the desert, and Moses had taken the children of Israel out and uh, out of Egyptian bondage and the sacrifice, all the sacrifices that are in the book of Leviticus uh, became a part of their worship. Uh, part of it was a, a burning, uh, either a burning or a sacrifice or something or an incense. You could smell it. You could smell the teaching of God, the desire of God. Uh, you, could, you could smell it. You could see it. There was evidence of it. And so in our own life, what is you, I, I look at this and I have to examine myself and I have to say, okay, Aubrey, I know the influences in my life. I know who I imitate in my life. And my struggle in my flesh and spiritual warfare, it, it's, it's legitimate. Sometimes I don't look or act like a beloved child who's imitating God. It's something else. But, I, but the reality is, the goal is, is that that walk is supposed to be in love. It's supposed to be giving myself up. It's supposed to be an offering and a sacrifice to God. That's the second thing. Now, the third one is, um, if I were to ask you, and this is where I had some fun with the kids. So if somebody said, you're trying to, and then you fill in the blank. You're trying to what? Everybody in this room is trying to do something. Everybody outside this room is trying to do something. There's something in our life that is getting our effort, our emotions, our, our, our mentality, our money, our time, all based upon we're trying to do something. Maybe you're trying to be the best parent you can be. Maybe you're trying to educate yourself. Maybe you're trying to overcome a disease. Maybe I don't know what it is, but you're trying. Maybe you're just trying to get through the next moment. Maybe you're trying to get out of depression. Maybe you're trying to deal with your anger. I don't know. But each of us had better ask ourselves, I mean, if we understand, first, I'm to be an imitator of God as a beloved child, sacrificing, giving myself up, committed to this life with God, as a Christian, based upon everything he's done for me through Christ, then the second thing is examine myself and say, okay, what am I trying to do here? And it could be situational. It could be just uh, from whatever your goal is for the next moment, maybe the next day, maybe the next week, but whatever it is, it's all connected. There's a mentality, there's a spirituality, there's an emotion, and there's a physicality to the things that we're trying to do. I don't know whether it's dieting or whatever, but the truth of the matter is, each of us, we're connected. And each of us, there's something we're trying. Now, the next part of that statement is, if somebody were to ask you, or if, who are you trying to please? So we're all trying to do something. And then the second part of that is, who are you trying to please? Because not only are we trying to do something, something in our life that's relevant to our circumstances, the other thing that we're doing is we're trying to please someone. And that's why I had some fun with the middle school this morning. And they're in the high school, their questions were, or their answers were pretty, in, I, I tell you what, they it was good. So ultimately, and I'm not going to share them because some of them might embarrass them, but uh, who are you trying to please? Not only are we trying to do something, but we're trying to please someone. And that journey starts where? From the day we're born. Our very first instinct in life is to please ourselves. Do you think? I mean, it really is. It's a lifelong struggle. But our very first instinct is to please ourselves. 
I need to be fed. I can't do it, but I need to be fed. I need the pleasure from being fed, being cleaned, having my diapers changed. And then it just goes on and on and on, and, and, and we get a little older, and, and every struggle that every parent in here has with their child is their child struggling, desiring, wanting, demanding the things that are pleasing to them versus what you want from them as a parent. Every argument that you probably have with your children is an argument based upon this kid wants this, they demand it, they're going to throw a fit to get it, and ultimately it's because they want to please themselves. And then there's a conflict. It's the same conflict that we have with God. And so the second thing in this, this therefore being imitators of God as beloved children is verse 10. He tells us, well, you can go verse 8. He says, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And how do you know that? Because it's trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, church, we'll get real personal here. You may have a goal to be an imitator of God as a beloved child. You may understand that in light of Christ, that you need to give yourself up. You need to sacrifice. You need to offer yourself. And then the second step in this is that trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. My grandfather was a great coach, and he, he used to, I didn't, I know this phrase didn't um, originate with him. But he would say, you have the talking part done. Well, I want to do this. Okay. You say you want to do it, but you've got the talking part done. I don't care if it's sports. I don't care whatever you're in. We all will talk. Well, I want to do this. I'd like to do this. I'm going to try to do this. But in Scripture, in our relationship with God, this statement, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, there's only one way to get there. There's only one way to get there. I remember coaching and uh, trying to help young men develop a, you know, the ability to hit a baseball. And there's some fundamental, uh, I'm not going to go through them, but there's just principles that are in place. And you can build a hitter. Christianity, Jesus says, and he ends the Sermon on the Mount, he says, there's a wise man who hears his words. And he builds his house upon the rock. Christianity is a building process. If you go to 1 John, the word practice and practice and practice is used over and over. Christianity is something that builds in us, it spiritually grows in us, and, and it's the result of a practice. So we have a statement, and then the fundamental principles of that statement are just a few things. I think many people say Christian. I can't judge their heart. Only the Lord can do that. But one thing you can know without hesitation if somebody's trying to please the Lord. You just know. You'll know them by their love for one another. First John, you'll know them by their deeds, Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit and the deeds of the flesh. You, 
you can say you're trying, but you can know if someone is trying. And, and the litmus test are two things. It's the word of God. Number one, it is impossible to please God without knowing his word. The scripture says, my people perish from a lack of knowledge. Knowledge of what? His word. I was told many years ago that the thing that will be the most difficult for you in the ministry of the word as a preacher is the level of people that attend church that they have some level of understanding and there's some level of trying commitment. But there will be this great void of knowing God's word. I, I had a hard time digesting that almost 30 years ago, but I've seen it's true. And I don't mean that as an indictment on anyone any more than the scripture indicts us. You can say Christian and you can be religious, but you will never be an imitator of God as a beloved child walking in love giving yourself up as an offering and a sacrifice to God until you have learned what is pleasing to the Lord. And you cannot learn what is pleasing to the Lord without a deep, spiritual, prayerful commitment to learning his word. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You can't. Not possible. Now, again, when we examine our life, well, who are we imitating? becomes pretty obvious in the way we talk, the use of our words. And when we treat people the way we treat them, our commitment to worship, our commitment to service, and not for us, for him. Churches are full of people that would fit under that umbrella of Romans 10 and 1. My prayer is for the Jews, the people of God, for they have a passion for God, but not in accordance with their own. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. Churches are full of folks like that all over the world. Doing something in the name of God, but ultimately it's just about them. The more time you spend in God's word, desiring to know what is pleasing to him, not pleasing to you and not pleasing to me and not even pleasing to others. I mean, Jesus said, I'm no respecter of men. I'm not here to please men. I'm here to please my father. And so trying to learn what is pleasing the Lord, you can't do it without a deep, deep commitment to learning his word. The first part. The second part is prayer. Paul writes in God's word, pray without ceasing. Two of the most, really, the easiest things for you to do as a Christian is spend time in this word and time in prayer. I used to think it's impossible to pray without ceasing. The older I get, I don't think it's impossible. I believe you can, your mind can be so geared to prayer that in, in every circumstance that you're in, you would find a pause, a connection, a need, an intimacy, a reality where you would find yourself just praying. Not out loud, but praying that your mentality becomes so prayerful and it's the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not a burden. It's not, it shouldn't be some tedious commitment, 
But as long as I am committed to learning the word of God and dedicated to prayer, I will know how to please the Lord. I'll know. God would not forsake me in those areas. His word is clear in those areas. So trying to learn what is pleasing the Lord. And then the final one is, and here it is, you read on down. Uh, he says, this is a powerful statement. Verse 16, making the most of your making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So in this call to be an imitator of God, he says, imitate him as a beloved child. If you don't know what it looks like, give yourself up, offer yourself, sacrifice yourself to God, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, and then understand what the will of the Lord is. But preceding that, he says, be careful how you live because the days are evil. I remember going through this process in, in education as well. And he said, since the cross on Golgotha 2,000 years ago, men have always tried to, to say, you know, boy, things are evil. And they're more evil now than they were, you know, and, and if you look at what's going on in the world and it's evil, boy, you can be sure that, man, the, the second coming of Christ is right upon us. And Jesus would say, he said, I'll tell you about the end times. He said, I don't know when they're going to be. They're going to come like a thief in the night and a twinkling of an eye. A trumpet's going to blow and the, and the heavens are going to open. And every one of us is going to stand before God. And every one of us is then going to kneel before God. And every one of us is going to confess the name of Jesus, saved and unsaved. And the scripture says, Jesus says, I don't even know when that's going to be. Now there are some indications. And he would even say, those times are going to be like, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and Earthquakes and famines and all the things that were really terrible for them to, to live through and to comprehend. But what he was saying was, that's, there's always been that. There's never been a time when there wasn't wars and rumors of war and famine and earthquake. And so you don't really, don't judge it based upon the calamity that you see. That's not the way you judge it. He said, it's coming. You be ready. You be on the alert. This statement here says, make the most of your, your, make the most of your time. Are you making the most of your time? I don't know. But I know this. If you're not imitating God as a beloved child, offering yourself up as a sacrifice, you are not making the most of your time. God is a gentleman. He give you life, and then, and then he gives you time. And it's a short time. The scripture says it's a vapor. God's a complete gentleman. In his sovereignty, his creator, he gives you life. He breathes life into you. He knew you were formed, knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, and then he gives you time. And you don't know how much time. And the scripture says the days of your life and my life were ordained before we were born. But you get a little time. And maybe it's just a very brief amount of time. Maybe it's 100 years. And in that 100 years, it's still a brief period of time. But it is your time that God has given you. So he says, make the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. The 14th century, a third of the world population died from the plague. What's going on with this pandemic now is kindergarten stuff. 1860 to 1865 in this country, we killed over a half a million people terribly 
with bayonet, muzzleloader, cannon, sword, and knife. We've, I don't know how bad you think things are in America now. That pales in comparison. Whatever you think is evil that's happening in this country right now, we've not reached that level. The point is, the days are evil. And they've always been evil. From the day that, that Eve was in the garden and she took and she ate, because you know what? She knew. She had an understanding. But her desire was to please herself. She knew what God said. She knew what he said, but she wanted to please herself. So she, she, she took and she ate, and from that moment on, the days have been evil. And you have time, and I have time. And in that time, we're imitating something or someone. It may even be appear, appear to be Christian, but God knows. And he knows on the basis of who you're trying to please. And who you're trying to learn. Are you trying to learn what is pleasing? Then finally, don't be foolish. But understand what the will of God is. I'll just let the scripture ask you the question. Do you understand what the will of God is? Anybody that would be aware of your life and your lifestyle intimately with it. We do things publicly, but God knows the private, God knows the very private moments of our life. He knows the inner working of our mind, and he knows our heart. He'll judge us based upon our heart. And part of that judgment is this word, has to do with this word foolish and understanding. And again, your choice. You, you get to choose who you're going to imitate. You get to choose how you're going to walk. You get to choose what you're going to learn. How you're going to learn it. Why are you going to learn it? Is it pleasing to the Lord or to you or someone else? And then finally, would your lifestyle, would God say, that's foolish? And you're not going to have an excuse because you're surrounded by evil. Evil has existed since the garden. What excuse do you have? One thing that may be different in this time is that we have probably less excuse than anyone because we're inundated with information, more information than any population of the world in any moment in the history of the world has. We just have information and information and information. And if you can't understand how foolish most of that information is, you'll never understand what the will of God is. The days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And, and again, personal responsibility. I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. And God already knows the answer. You could debate it with me. But you'll not, nor will I be able to debate that with God. None of us will either sound foolish on the day of judgment. You will either sound foolish on the day of judgment. Or your understanding of the will of the Lord will be obvious. 
You, can, you do it in your places of employment. You do it in your family. You do it in your relationships. You can look at somebody and say, I know what's going on in that person's life. I can see the effort in their life. I can see the imitation in their life. I can see the pursuits of their life. I can, I can see the understanding of their life. And so it's easy to do it with others. Maybe it's a little harder to do it for ourselves. I think maybe one of the most difficult things that we try to do in our life is just be honest with ourselves. We can be honest about other people or what we believe is honest. But the challenge is, what about you? What about me? And it should be obvious to all of us because it is obvious to the Lord. The Lord will make no mistake when he says and when he knows and when he judges. That man, that woman was imitating me. And he was doing it because he knew what my son, how he lived. And he knew because he wanted to try to please me and not please himself or others. And, and he knew because he understood the days were evil. And the goal of their life was to understand the will of God. There's the challenge from Scripture. Um, in the ensuing weeks, Paul does something else in Ephesians. If you're not sure what any of that looks like, he creates a very vivid picture. We'll look at those in the ensuing weeks. So that, again, to be repetitive. Who are you imitating? Who are you trying to please? What is your understanding of God's will? All you got to do is look to the cross, and you can answer all those questions. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us in our walk. Help us to be imitators of you through the example of your son. Help us to try to please you. Help us to make the goal of our life an effort to please you, not, not others and not ourselves, but you. And help us, Father, to understand what your will is because the days are indeed evil. But we know the goodness of your Son has overcome all that is evil and that the final victory is and will always be his. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.